you know, and in terms of sexual experiences, that's a very, that's a sliver of this whole pie that we could have um, is erection, penetration, ejaculation, right? It's a very stock standard pornographic approach to sex, right? That's what gets emphasized in porn. Um, and so it's oftentimes why we repeat it is because that's what we've been shown um, and, and what we think sex should look like. Uh, so we get attached to that. And, and if we don't show up that way, if we don't get it up, if we don't get it in and if we don't get it off, then we, we often think something's wrong. What is up, beautiful people? I am Lachlan Samuel, and this is the Open Up Podcast, the show that is making mental health mainstream. The way we do that is we interview people about the deepest, darkest, most traumatic and challenging moments and periods of their life. We go over what they went through, how they overcome it, any tips, tools, and tactics that they use to do so, any lessons that they've taken away from that period in their life, and then where they're at now, how they've turned that pain into purpose. All I can say is that I'm just truly, truly grateful. And I absolutely believe that together, me and you, and the sharing of these stories, we will make mental health mainstream. Let's go. Welcome back to Open Up with Lockie Samuel. It's episode 119 with Cam Fraser, sex coach, men's sex coach or both? Uh, predominantly men, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, I'm actually like really, really intrigued. I've got goosebumps like right now just as I said that because I know this is such a deep topic for men um, and especially men with the mask on not wanting to look at their addiction to porn, look at the way they view sex, relationship, woman, um, and themselves and their penises. So like, I'm pretty pumped because this is something I worked through at the end of last year. Um, yeah, and just really intrigued, bro. But before we dive in, could you please describe the way that you view yourself uh, as a man and or human? Yeah, man. So some question off the bat man all right um how do i view myself as a as a man slash human um well something i i often say is i try and be the man that i needed to to hear from about 10 years ago so i was going through a bunch of mental health sexual health sexual functioning sh shit you know stuff and um and really needed a guy who was comfortable in his sexuality who was comfortable talking about sex who was comfortable linking that to masculinity who knew what he was talking about so it was like you know it wasn't just opinion based it was kind of data driven so someone who like could speak into my experiences as a young young man as a, as a teenager and um and who didn't really have a lot to to, to go on so um so that's who i try and be today as i, I try and be a guy who is upfront and open, communicative about his sexual health and his sexuality and his desires and um, is passionate about it as well. I think it's really important to not just have a slideshow and you know just go through the points. I think it's important to embody it and live that passionately. And, and that's what I try and do. That's the type of man that I am, um, that I at least try and be anyway. Maybe you know, we're all human, we're all fallible. So there's sometimes where I'm not that. And, um, and you know, so I just try and do my best to, to be upfront and open about, um, about sexuality and masculinity and, and the way those two things relate to me and my own personal experience. Because I can only speak from my own lived experience, man. I can't speak from anyone else's, can only, can only share from what I know, from what I've lived through and what I've learned. That's awesome, man. 
<laughs> have you had to have you had to explain that before? That was really good. Uh, I've been asked similar questions, but yeah, I appreciate <laughs> you on the spot. Um, your so the story we're going to talk about primarily is like around those sexual issues or problems, which starts at about sixteen. But can you, I guess, give us a breakdown or a summary of? like your childhood and I guess everything up until about that 16 year mark? Yeah, man. Um, as concise as possible. I uh, went to a, like I went to a public, public uh, primary school. So it was, um, it was a place called Ellenbrook as well up in the Northern suburbs, um, the Brook and, um, and then went to like a, a, a private all boys high school. So I went to Guildford grammar school and, um, and the, I guess like the, the juxtaposition between those two things, you know, I, I came over from England when I was really young. So I, I still consider kind of Perth and Australia my home um, was like the, the framework for, for me growing up as a, as a young boy, I was like, you know, I, I was, I was, um, I suppose really into like the skate park when I was young and like, you know, kind of had this like, you know, I got to be like this tough little fucking boy. And, you know, I was like really um, into like, you know, machismo and, and, and that kind of like led me into playing sports. So I played soccer and rowing and tried to be like really masculine through sport, but never really was, you know, I was always kind of like a little bit skinnier. I was like a little bit lankier and a bit taller than other guys. Um, and uh, I, I, I couldn't like, like I didn't get into fights or anything that I thought, you know, young men should be doing. I wasn't like really physical like that. So I kind of like tried my hardest to fit in, but didn't necessarily, you know, fit in the whole way. It was always kind of felt like a little bit of the outsider. Um, and so I, so I ended up hanging out with the, um, like my, my, my best friend was, um, he was gay. And then my other best friend, um, ended up coming out as trans, uh, you know, years after. So it was, so I, you know, didn't really fit in with this kind of mainstream narrative of masculine expression or what little boys were supposed to, or what teenagers were supposed to kind of sharp as in terms of like that, that man box culture. So, so that didn't, yeah, no one really told me how else to show up. No one really was guiding me in other alternative ways of masculinity. So that's, that's pretty, that was pretty much like the, the whole, the whole of my childhood and the whole of my, um, my early teenage years up until that point where I was about 16 and started becoming sexually active was this whole story of masculinity, which didn't feel right for me, which I didn't really fit into. Um, but I was desperately trying to maintain, I was desperately trying to kind of achieve. Was there any external pressure from like parents, family or friends at all to be that masculine person? Yeah. From, from my peers, big time man like for my mates i was hanging out with they were all skate skaters and skate park people when they were like young um just kind of like i don't want to say deros but you know derelicts like <laughs> hanging out on the streets you know and, and so these are like the, the the young boys that i wanted to be like you know these guys that were kind of like a little bit rough around the edges and i was like oh these these are, these are the cool dudes right these are the guys that i want to be like um and you know but, but then i was also going to like my mum and my dad were like like super pushed me into like doing creative things like going to drama and then going to like learning how to play piano and, and getting into music and kind of art things. And, and then I was like a little bit teased and bullied for that by these guys. So not only was I like seeking their validation and trying to fit in with them, I was also getting kind of teased and bullied by them because of like my parents trying to push me into this other direction. So it was just like this, conflict man it was just conflict the whole the whole time like in terms of who i identify as i suppose 
were your parents those sort of people? Were they the the creative type? And was that why they were trying to push you in that direction? Um, I think it was a bit like trying to live vicariously through their kids. Like my my mum's a school teacher. Um, My dad's uh, worked in hospitality for 40 years. So they're very set in their ways and um, were very adventurous and creative when they were young. And so I think that's what they wanted to foster in us, in myself and my brother. So, uh, and... And then, like as we got into a, um, as we got into our later teenage years, it was like, okay, that, that creative, adventurous is 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 gone. You need a stable job now, and you need to make money, and you need to do engineering, and you need to you know study mathematics, and you need to get a job that you that you're going to be set up for the rest of your life. And so again, there, it felt like this. Okay, I've got to conform to you know getting an office job and being this guy who provides and the the money maker, the bread maker, whatever it is, um, which I didn't didn't feel comfortable doing at all and not and that's definitely not the direction that i wanted to head um at all uh last question about that period with your parents like trying to force you down that creative route and then you having this external pressure from peers to be i guess quote unquote masculine was there ever any like resentment for being pushed down that route by your parents yeah i think so man i i definitely like felt i mean i felt resentment to to my parents for for a bunch of different things and maybe it wasn't exclusively or particularly because of like them um encouraging me to do alternative things um because they were also super supportive of the things that i did want to do as well so okay you know when i went and played sport when i went and did all these other things that i felt like i needed to do to kind of be a little man um my parents were like yep sweet we'll come and support you we'll show up at every game and we'll take you to the early morning trainings all that so so it was like resentment mixed with like, and maybe this is my me projecting back in in hindsight of being like, okay, cool, they were still showing up and still doing these things for me. So, um, but I think like as every little son does, they resent their parents at some point. <laughs> yep. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep, they're the easiest to blame for everything. Hey. Oh, totally, man. Yeah, that's where all my problems come from. I don't have any of my my own. Kids. That's all them. <laughs> Um, man, we might as well dive straight into like the sexual problems starting at, I think you said 16. Yeah. Yeah. I think I lost my virginity at around 15. Yeah. must've been 15 years old and like pretty much straight away, man. Um, I, I started having like sexual difficulties, um, just cause I didn't know what I was doing, you know, like I, I read a whole bunch of stuff and I was like the kid that you went to if you had like a question about sexuality, because I had like this little folder um, at school with like all these like printed out pages and stuff I'd written down from just shoddy internet websites, man. Like the most unreliable information you could probably ever think of. I had just like written down and I was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And here's how I'm going to go. Like, and it was just, just nonsense. Dude. What, like, just... what makes that, what makes you want to do that? I just, I need to ask that because I've never heard of that before. And I that know, is man. the best thing ever. I was just like a little, little young teenage boy that was just interested in sex. And I was like, I'm just going to read up on sex and just get so fucking good at it without any practical knowledge or practical experience. And just like, just try and be boss at it, man. Just try and be ace. And, um, and I fucking wasn't, you know, I, I just you know, had all this like superfluous knowledge that didn't make any sense to me. And I was like, all right, and now I'm going to be sexual. And man, I was just abusing alcohol. I was like, every time I was sexual, you know, for, for a good, five to seven years i couldn't remember a time or i can't remember a time that i was sober and sexual like every time i was with another person um and being sexually intimate with them there was alcohol involved so like that didn't start me off to a good um you know to a good beginning and then 
I was like, I was so performative based as well. I was like, fuck, I need to get an erection. I need to penetrate. I need to ejaculate. Like I was like that, you know, every hole's a goal type mentality. I was like, I just need to fucking, you know, and then I need to be with as many women as possible. Um, you know, I had a pretty unhealthy relationship in high school, which um, fed into some of those bad ideologies, I suppose, about like, about like initiating sex and needing to be sexual all the time and, and what sex should look like. And that if it wasn't, um, if it, like, if it wasn't intercourse, if it wasn't penetrative, like it didn't count. You know, I think I remember my friends on more than one occasion being like, yeah, but did you fuck her? You know what I mean? Like if, if, you know, if I was saying, yeah, we were intimate and we were sexual, they were like, well, that doesn't count unless you put your, put your cock inside her, you know? And, and it had this like, man, it was, it was just so like goal oriented, you know, it, the whole, the whole point of my sex life at that period of my, you know, period of my time, period of my life was just to like either have sex as much as possible and to, and the goal being numbers or in the sexual encounter itself to penetrate and to to become which oftentimes i couldn't even do because i was on you know i was drinking so much booze i couldn't even get it up um and then the times where i was able to get it up either because of the booze i was i, I couldn't come i couldn't ejaculate um and so that is a whole story in and of itself when you take ejaculation off the table what 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 stories come up for people um or i would be like because I was, because I was, and then I haven't even spoken about. I was watching a lot of porn as well, and I was like masturbating quite a lot, ejaculating all the time. So just training my body to come as quickly as possible, to to be kind of hyper aroused. And so if I did end up like um, being sexual with a person, and not really having a lot of alcohol, so just being able to feel something, I would come super quickly because I, that's what I trained my body to do, and that. That then like fed into this narrative of like fuck I'm I'm not a man because I can't pleasure a woman I'm not a man because I can't get it up I'm not a man because I'm not sleeping with a lot of people, um, and that was and that story that narrative was perpetuated when I went to university um, over in America and started playing soccer you know sport competitively in this like locker room environment which was you know quite misogynistic and and the 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 way we spoke about women and the, the mentality that we had to women, especially like, you know, you can kind of think of stereotypical fraternity style mentality of just like going out and getting pissed and, and picking up young girls and, and just kind of not treating them well. And, you know, not having this collaborative sexual experience, but just being kind of like it focused on me and, and my gratification rather than our collective pleasure. So it was just a, a, a shit show, dude. Like it was a big spiral of all these different, ideas that I had of what things should look like and how I should be and what my partner, what she should be doing. And none of that really clicking for me because no one was telling me otherwise. And I, it was at that time that I was like still interested in sex and, and studying it. So I was also like studying psychology, studying sexuality, studying philosophy. And, um, and also like doing a whole bunch of my own independent things, readings and stuff in, from the pickup artist community. So I was like into that space as well. And thinking like this is the way I need to be talking to girls, and this is how I should be treating them, and it just fed into this like downward spiral, man. And I just, I just ended up like getting into a bit of a depression. Um, I, 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 that kind of sounds like I'm minimising it, but I was, I was pretty depressed, like pretty mentally unwell, um, relying on, on alcohol, kind of drinking all the time. Um, in my, you know, I'm, I'm 20, 21 by this stage, and um, and yeah, just kind of not treating people well, and and so had to had to really take some time off, and and you know force myself to be celibate, and to um to 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 do a bit of work on myself, man. That's that's kind of where this whole 
my whole journey now started. That's uh, that's awesome, bro. I love that you can be vulnerable to that extent because I know a lot of men need that right now. Whether they're ready for it or not, doesn't matter. I know a lot of men need it. And so just the fact that you're willing to go there and be that vulnerable and to put it out in a space like a podcast, which is evergreen, just means that your message and your story is going to be there for people when they're ready. So like, I'm stoked, first of all, that you're here to share it, um, but that you can, secondly, but that, uh, that you can go that deep and be that vulnerable. Um, got a couple of questions. What, where did the pressure come from to accumulate numbers and to be that sort of guy? Oh, probably from like, and I, I kind of share this now from like a teacher educator perspective, but like when I was in it, I kind of feel like maybe it was my mates were perpetuating it, but it's like, but my mates, they still had, they're still getting that, that same narrative from somewhere else. Right. You know, we just kind of circulated amongst each other, but where does it, where did it come from, from them? And I feel like it was, um, I feel like it was you know, people that were kind of older than us. So people that we looked up to um, and, and that kind of older, um, maybe it was an older generation thing or maybe it's just people that were a couple of years older than us kind of perpetuating that narrative as well. Um, but then I'm thinking like, you know, uh, mainstream media was probably a big part of it when I think about it. Like, you know, we kind of glorified um, and idolized, uh, I guess, you know, the, the guys that we're watching on TV and, and the guys that were like pretty you know, masculine, macho, you know, kind of sexual, uh, they, they were like sexually competent, sexually confident as well. Um, and then definitely from like the, the porn we were watching, this idea that like there's, you know, when you kind of like think about it, there's only a couple of, like a handful of male porn stars, but there's like an endless rotation of like new female talent, for example. And so maybe there's like that started to get ingrained. It's just like you see the same dude in porn all the time, but it's always a different different woman. So it's like this phenomenon yep. of, of novelty and newness. So um, That's something I haven't thought about before. The fact that yeah that they have a constant cycle of women going through the same man that's um yeah that's new for me so thank you for bringing bringing that up and putting that in the space bro yeah no worries man no worries. So, um it's kind of like a few few places I think that the narrative comes from eh yeah when did you start watching porn oh probably as soon as I was was sexually active man like um probably around the same time so I remember like the first explicit like thing that i that i remember like seeing is a deck of hustler playing cards um so like you know playboy and hustler and and those other kind of companies and it was like i think it was my old man's like he he had like this this deck of cards somewhere in the house and i and that he'd been gifted or been given from someone and so i like found this in, in like our spare room and i was like oh sick you know i like snuck these cards into my room and like and like we would hide them under my bed and under my pillow and stuff and and that's kind of like the first thing that I remember jogging my, my sexual interest in, in explicit material, explicit media. And then I remember like watching late night, um, I had a TV in my room. So watching late night SBS, yeah, I think, I think it was like a Friday night that they had like the foreign erotic movies on. And so I'd like late night SBS watching TV in my room. Um, and then was, and then like we got a family computer. And so I remember like, you know, broad, uh, broadband dial up internet and the the slowness that it took uh, and then just kind of being exposed to like little pop-ups and and um, things like that and and i suppose like just 
just by virtue of it being like more and more available to me, I was like, oh, now I can check this out. And then like Google some things. I remember like pictures and then um, there was like a, yeah, like a, a period of time when I was like, oh, fuck, like websites, like porn websites are an actual thing. And so I, like that blew my mind as a young boy. And then, you know, started watching probably all, all of this kind of, you know, the internet pornography, the tube site porn, which is like where I think it gets really detrimental probably started at around 14 15 as well i reckon it's probably about the same time that i actually started being sexual yeah um was there ever any shame involved in like watching porn and masturbation for you and i just asked that because i know for me there was a lot of shame and so i carried that over into sex and then you know become really shut off and guilty within relationships for it yeah, I I don't really think there was for me, man. Like I I remember like my um, parents kind of catching me watch porn once and and not really talking about it. Like everything was just kind of like a oh, we're just not going to ask any questions or not have any conversations about it. And um and so like there wasn't this overt this is wrong and you shouldn't be doing this and and that kind of like narrative of shaming being put on me. So I just kind of was just like oh, I guess this is alright. I guess this is natural and like. You know, then you kind of banter with your mates about the porn that you're watching. Well, at least I did with my mates anyway. We kind of talked about, you know, the the um, the porn. And then it was like, you know, this is the tribulations of going to an all-boys school, man. Of like talking about like how many times a day you watch porn and like competing with your mates about how many times you've masturbated in one day and just shit like that. So it was not really shamed that much, man. It was it was kind of like socially accepted, I suppose, that boys will be boys and boys will just watch porn and and that that's just what they do and there's nothing you can kind of do to stop that or that's or that you should try and stop it you know so um so it's still kind of like um like i still watch you know i'll, I'll throw the caveat in there that i still watch porn today but i i watch like uh well at least i try and watch ethical porn feminist porn educational porn um you know i i i will jump on a tube site every now and again um and and see like what categories and what you know analytics are, are being used so um i try and you know, stay up to date with what guys may you know the quote-unquote mainstream population of guys are watching um, i think it's important for my work uh, but in terms of recreational use porn that i watch for my own pleasure for my own enjoyment um stuff like um, light southern is a really good website for ethical australian porn for example so it's like local producers and things like that so stuff that is enjoyable for me to watch but also i know was enjoyable for the people to make and that they're getting paid for it and that that it's showing diverse bodies and people that aren't you know these these mainstream um narrative versions of of you know what sex should look like so um so i guess that shame's never really gone away man you know what i mean like it, well it's never really there in the first place and then it was never really there um and never really there to go i i suppose in my own experience i think that that breaks for me that breaks the mold of what a traditional sex coach is with you being open to still consuming porn because you know up until now i haven't met anyone um who is you know i guess open to having that still remain a part of a lifestyle um could you explain like the reasoning behind that because i find that interesting yeah sure man sure so i kind of like frame frame porn as like as a whole it, it porn, pornography is is a tool right so just like a just like a um a vibrator is a tool for example for for amplifying intensifying or altering 
or you know at least giving us some type of stimulation in our sexual experience right and so you can just like you can use a vibrator by yourself or with a partner you can you can use it in a way that um that gives you pleasure right just the same way that you can use porn as a tool that gives you pleasure um but very similar just like a vibrator can maybe be overused um to the point of temporary desensitization which is something that has been empirically studied and also is very anecdotal for a lot of women. Um, we'll say that they, if they've overused a vibrator, that will ha what's happened to them. Um, but also, if you get stuck in only using a vibrator, and this is something that often happens for women, is the only way that they can achieve orgasm is through, vi through a vibrator. If that's the only way that they're showing up sexually is through this. Very, very similar to porn, right? If you overuse porn, you can become desensitized to it. You can become numbed out by it. And also if it's the only, if there's no diversity in your sexual experiences and there's no novelty or variety, you know, self, uh, a healthy sex life, sex life should have variety in it. Um, if that's the only way that you're showing up sexually, then it becomes problematic as well if you're relying on it. So just like, I guess the, the, the crux of that whole point is like, if you're relying on it for your sexual arousal, then it becomes problematic. But if you're able to incorporate it and integrate it healthily into your sex life, um, because we need variety and novelty and, and diversity in our sexual experiences, and you've got a handle on that and you can be aware of where, like be aware of where you're consuming your porn from, same thing, we should be critical of all media we consume. If you're critical of like what you're consuming as well, if it's not just tube site, you know, mainstream bullshit, like if you're actually aware of the porn that you're, you know, that you're putting into your body, being aware of the energetics of it as well, of, of what you're taking on, then um, it can be a really powerful tool for like exploring fetishes, exploring things that you don't have the capacity to do yourself. Um, so, you know, things like, um, for example, multiple, multiple, uh, people, if that's you know something that you don't have the capacity to explore, so it's really good for um, also like building arousal as well. Like if some guys maybe need a little bit of um, help uh, if they're on this journey um, to to kind of build arousal. So a, a clean break from porn can oftentimes, if if that's what they've been relying on, can be really difficult for them to build arousal when they're doing self pleasuring and and doing masturbation practices. So it can be useful as a tool to help build that arousal and spark that sexual arousal, and then they put the porn to one side. Um, it can be, yeah, just uh, it can just be used as a, as a tool, and that's the way I often try and frame it. So, um, and so that's the reason why I still incorporate it into my my practice um, every now and again. I, I'd say, you know, I'll, I'll make, if I could quantify it, put a percentage on it, I'd probably say about twenty percent of the time I use porn to like as a part of my sexual experience, and that's like, and I would say erotica as well, like rather than. You know, pornography that that word has a lot of baggage to it a lot of connotation to it so yep. um so people go like oh you're, you're just on what is it like porn tube or UGs or that whatever the fuck those websites are um, <laughs> as opposed to like as opposed to like you know tasteful artistic um diverse uh variable kind of pornography erotic scenes um which is what which is kind of what and as my so would you oh, do, by that do you mean a bit more sensual yeah, totally. Rather than like hardcore. Yeah, 100%. Like as my sexual evolution has taken place and I've kind of become more aware of my fantasies and desires, I'm like, fuck, I don't want to see some, I just, I don't want to see a dick pretty much just pounding a, a vagina for 45 minutes. It's pretty much what, what mainstream porn is. I want to, you know, I, I, what turns me on is 
sensuality is like the folds of of skin is like you know people touching and caressing their bodies because that's what turns me on that's i love doing that to myself i love doing that to my partner i don't necessarily want to see just a fucking um you know uh poundathon for for an hour so it doesn't you know as my kind of awareness around my sexuality has evolved so too is like i guess what i've consumed and, and what i want to put into my field Yep. Yeah, I, I can definitely definitely understand why you still incorporate it now because if it is that more sensual aspect, which does better reflect, I guess, what sex and that intimacy should be and pulling away from, I guess, that, that hardcore style of porn where it's just fucking for the sake of orgasm um, or for show, then I guess you do allow guys to tap into sensuality to to mimic that and to have that, I guess, become the influence rather than the, the typical style of porn. Yeah, totally, dude. And, and that's kind of where, where I'll use like the term ethical porn or, or feminist porn or educational porn, um, where it's just you're, you're making a distinction between that and mainstream tube site porn. I love that. So what was your, while you were watching porn, what was your expectation of a woman and I guess like a relationship with a woman? Well, I don't know how much of a relationship that I was getting <laughs> advice from, uh, from the porn I was watching, but definitely like what I thought, again, inverted commas, thought women should be like in the bedroom was like, you know, very vocal was what I was expecting women to be, um, was to, um, was to be quite submissive as well. That's kind of my, my thought process was like, um, maybe it wasn't even like I was, I was anticipating or expecting her to be some way. I was definitely like putting pressure on myself to, to be a certain way. So I was like, I need to be the dominant one. I need to be the person that's in charge. I need to initiate the sex. Um, I need to be, um, I need to have a rock hard cock and, and penetrate her for, for an hour and make her have the, like, I need to give her orgasms, you know, like it's something that I, that I do, that it's my job and it's my responsibility. So I guess it wasn't like, when I think back to it, I wasn't necessarily thinking that my partner should be or do anything particular. It was like, I need to do something particular and specific. And if I don't do that, then something's wrong with me. Um, and if she doesn't find that pleasurable, then something's wrong with her. Wow, that is a lot of pressure to put on yourself, especially when you're meeting new women. Yeah, totally, man, totally. It's um, and it was it was kind of like, and then that was perpetuated by my mates as well because they would have the same idea, and so it was just constantly reinforced. And and if you didn't fuck her, right? If you weren't dominant, like no way in hell I was going to share in the in the locker room. I had this beautiful sensual experience with this lovely young woman, and and like loved her touching my chest and tracing her hands there's no way i would be like open and vulnerable and sensitive and sharing i'd be like the way i would share and the way my mates would share would be like yeah i fucking tapped it and and you know busted a nut so hard and like it was n nothing about it was talking about pleasure or talking about the sens sensualness of it or talking about like her experience it was always like yeah i made her fucking come this many times and and whatever it was so you know the the reinforcement of that as well was, was really strong. In that environment, when you're in that locker room environment in the USA, was there ever a feeling of like, I'm more than just this guy who wants to speak about women like this and treat sex this way? Yeah, totally dude. Like again, this conflict that I had of like desperately trying to fit in and be one of the lads versus like, Oh, I just felt really gross doing it. Um, 
and maybe if I'd had a bit more integrity or a bit more courage, I would have stood up earlier. But, um, but it was like, yeah, it was, it was this like slow drifting away that I had from these, from the fellas. And, um, and I noticed as soon as I started like exploring psychology, exploring philosophy a bit more, getting interested in like sacred sexuality and yoga and, and breath work and, and connecting to my body in a bit more of an intimate way rather than through sports, but through breathing and stretching and, and Pilates and yoga. Um, I, and, and that's, and that became more about what I wanted to talk about and more about where I wanted my life to head. I saw this disconnection starting to happen between my group of friends or the guys that I would hang out with at that time. And, um, and, and the people that I was, I was starting to hang out with and, and the friends that I was starting to make. And so something that's really um, been quite interesting to me over the last 10 years, as this has kind of all played out is all those guys that kind of fell away and stopped hanging out with me and, and ostracized me a little bit during that time have started to every now and again, I get a message from one of those guys saying, Hey man, just been following you on social media for this whole time. You know, they've never liked a post of mine. They've never commented or never sent anything else, you know, and, and they, and they send me messages like, Hey, I just listened to this podcast that you were on. Oh, Hey, I just saw this post and just wanted to let you know that, you know, I, I, li- I thank you for doing what you're doing pretty much. I value what it is that you're doing. And it's you know so interesting that like you kind of like you, like you shared, man, like when they're ready, they send a message when they're ready, they step into it and they, and they acknowledge it and they, and they, um, and they take on that part of themselves that, that has been swept under the rug for so long. Yeah. And I feel like you're in a space that is similar to what I'm doing with mental health. Whereas you, you share content that's so raw and vulnerable. Um, and I guess exposes a particular for lack of a better word flaw within someone and I've found for a lot of guys to like my content means they're acknowledging that that's a flaw within them. And I guess by liking it, allowing other people to see that. So when I'm speaking to people and they're telling me, man, I really like all the stuff you're doing. Like I've listened to all the podcasts. It's like, bro, I've never seen you comment or like anything like what's going on. And they're like, Oh, it's just cause I don't want people to know that, mm. you know, that I've got that issue. I feel like it's the same with you, probably on a deeper level though, because sex is going a whole lot deeper than the the broad, I guess, topic of mental health. Yeah, man. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, dude. And and something that is quite interesting, I see pop up on my social media feed because I post about um, male sexuality all the all the time. It's everything I do. I get a lot of like ads for. I don't know if you've maybe seen it on your Facebook um, feed. And ads for Pilot, the men's like sexual health it's that but it, no a lot of what they do is like online consulting for premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction so they've got these like sponsored ads uh, and this is not a plug for pilot by the way <laughs> please don't <laughs> i'm not here to, to say that they're, what they're doing is good but i just find it interesting that all the guys that comment on those ads are like um they're all tagging their mates as jokes in those ads so like instead of engaging with the content or engaging with that stuff in a way that's like constructive it's all as oftentimes sexuality and masculinity is, it's all framed as a joke. It's all framed as this big, funny, ha ha, look at this dude, he's got a small dick, ha ha, look at him, he's got premature ejaculation, ha ha, he can't get it up. So it's like, and this is like what I see perpetuated in mainstream media a lot is like male sexuality being the butt of a lot of jokes. 
like this dude who like can't get women haha <laughs> let's have a laugh at him this dude who's got like who comes in his pants when you know american pie style he gets touched and and he jizzes in his pants right let's laugh at him for premature ejaculation so oftentimes male sexuality is framed as this huge joke and that i see i see that playing out in these dudes commenting and tagging their mates and saying hey this is something you probably need um and 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 so you're right it, it, and stuff like this touches a nerve for a lot of dudes and for them to actually engage with it seriously oftentimes means that they're they're acknowledging a part of themselves that that um it, like takes a lot of vulnerability man it takes a lot of courage to do that because because it's it's out there that mainstream narrative of, of being laughed at for it yeah exactly man and i found that most of the time in most situations especially throughout my life and like with some of the men that I've been working with as well that the bullies or the people who make fun of the other men for having a small penis coming or uh, premature ejaculation, they're usually the ones who have the issue that they're bullying the other person about, especially in my case, like I'm not packing at all, bro. It's like a couple Maltesers and a chocolate finger, <laughs> but you know, I got bullied so badly through like primary school and high school and my after school jobs, but the guys who were bullying me when I finally come out at the end of last year and said, Hey, like I just got up and got naked at this workshop and like, I feel free. They messaged me and they're like, Oh man, that's amazing. Me too. It's like, but you were the one that was, you were the one who made my life hell and embedded the story within me. Like, how is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. There's like a, a huge thing of, of projection, right? You, you project onto others what it is that you are insecure about yourself. And I think as particularly young men, like we do that all the fucking time, you know, we, we, we tease someone for something that we're, that we get triggered by, you know, like if someone, I remember being, being, um, being teased by guys, um, who were, who were heavier than me, who were, who were fatter than me, um, teasing me about being fat. And I was like, I, and I just could not comprehend it. It, it didn't, didn't, didn't make a lot of sense to me. And, um, and, and so I slowly started to realize, yeah, the, the, the people that do the teasing and the bullying, often people that need to do some work on themselves and we all need to work on ourselves, but there's you know, probably something underlying that bullying. Yep. Um, so back to like you, I think we ended your, the part of your story where you're, you're saying you're now in like this, um, deep funk or depression. What, what led to that? And then where was like the turning point for you? Yeah, I mean, so what led to it, man, was just like the the perpetuation of of those shitty sexual experiences of 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 me like seeing in these women, these young women that I was sleeping with, dissatisfaction and like you know, them just like not enjoying themselves, me not enjoying myself as well. A lot of the time, I was like, "Fuck, what is the point of this?" Like, here we go, another weekend, another night of shitty sex of of me just feeling rejected and disappointed in myself and and seeing that in, in the person I was with. And, and so just like spiraling downwards of, of like just constantly doing this and not really knowing how to break that cycle of anxiety really. Um, and so, and so I, I eventually, um, like I said, had to, I had a turning point of just being like, Oh, I'm just like, what's going on with my life? Like, I, what do I do with this? And so I, I said to myself, I'm going to take a break from being sexual. You know, I didn't, didn't take a break from drinking, you know. That's that's not what I was. <laughs> definitely not what I was doing. Um, you know, I was just taking a break from sexuality because I thought, oh, that that'll that'll solve the problem. Not recognizing that all the booze and all the mental health stuff that was on top of that was probably causing the sexual issues um, in the first place. So, um, so 
it was it was eventually through through yoga and through Pilates. Like I'm moonlight as a as a yoga teacher, but I, I seriously injured my back playing sport. Like I, I had some stress fractures in my lower back, and it was to the point where I couldn't play competitive sports anymore, um, or at least I had to take a break from it. I had to do clinical rehabilitation. And so as part of my rehab, I was introduced to or recommended to do uh, yoga and, and do that every couple of weeks or every couple of times a week. And so through literally slowing down, through like learning how to breathe properly, like I don't think I'd ever breathe properly for the first, you know, 25 years of my life until I did, you know, I did yoga um, and learned how to learn how to engage my diaphragm and take a deep breath into my body that I, I, you know, I remember like spontaneously just breaking down in tears when I was halfway through a class. Like I remember um, like muscle spasms and shaking kind of happening and just tension, man, just trauma just built up in my body that I was starting to actually release and starting to let go of and starting to actually be aware of and notice. Uh, and so, so I kind of like slowly progressed into cutting down on drinking and, and going sober and then uh, doing heaps of traveling. So I went to South America a bunch of times, went to Southeast Asia, went to India, um, Canada and, and explored like plant medicine, started getting into spirituality. And, and that was my roots, you know, not everyone goes kind of down that same path. But I think the, I think what's very, very common, at least for the guys that I work with, that is a turning point for them. Well, that helps shift, I think, that, that old mainstream narrative to kind of a new way of healthily showing up sexually um, as a man is like learning about your body, like, like actually paying attention to how your body feels, knowing where you're holding tension, where you're holding tightness, um, how you can release that tension and tightness, just building up an awareness, just actually understanding, well, this is how my body works. And, and by doing that, you then start to go, oh, well, when I'm really tense and really tight and when i'm aware of that tension i come really quickly well that's interesting or you know i i can't get an erection very easily when i'm really fucking tense and tight so okay well maybe i'll try and not be so tense and tight when i'm sexual oh look at that i've got an erection easier oh look at that i didn't come so quickly and it's like oh whoa now i start to know that my body and how i feel in my body how my body actually feels to me directly correlates to my sexual experience and and that was like that was my that was my light bulb moment. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, there's something to this, and that just snowballed my. And I've always been curious in sex, as I shared a bit earlier, you know. And so I started building up my my new collection of of, <laughs> of materials, which just look like books instead. So now I'm an avid collector of books um, on sexuality and masculinity and all this sort of stuff. So that's my new materials, like this big uh, wall of, of books. That's amazing, man. How did you, as someone in that environment who was um, competing within sports and had that, I guess, that misogynistic view or environment, how did you give yourself permission to let go and, I guess, delve into yoga and fully experience that? Because I can assume for, or I would assume for people who are in that environment, it would very much be like walls up, um, no, I don't want to be that because that's that's what my peer group says that I'm not supposed to be. Yeah, I don't want to give the impression that it was like something that I was able to do straight away. Like it was definitely a long period of time. And I think if I remember back to it, like the first times that I started dabbling in learning about sex and and um, and exploring, you know, female orgasms and reading about it and going to yoga and stuff, I'm pretty sure I framed it as like, Oh, look at all you, look at all you guys, you know, hanging out as, as dudes. Like I'm the one that's going to yoga classes with all these women. I'm the only guy in the class. So I still kind of framed it quite negatively. I still kind of framed it in that old 
way of looking at you know male female interactions being like oh, i'm the one that's hanging out with all, with all the chicks um you know and all the all the girls and i actually remember um i suppose maybe this is coming back to me more than i realized but when i was you know when i was going out to the clubs and and the bars and trying to pick up women as well i, I would often talk about spirituality and sexuality quite candidly um, because I knew that's what you know, I got into. I started talking about astrology. I started talking about like palm reading and and personality tests and stuff. And and I knew that was what you know women enjoy. I know that's what they like kind of talking about. You know, again, stereotyping here and generalizing. But that's you know that was my in, and that's kind of what motivated me to to I guess pursue this in the first place. Or it's at least what maintained my interest in it because I was like, oh, I can use this to kind of get women. I'm the guy that goes to yoga with them and all that sort of stuff. So, so it did didn't start off very healthily. It still had that old um, mental health space that wasn't really beneficial for me. But then as I started to notice how it was affecting me and how as a, how it affected my relationships with other people, particularly women, I was like, whoa, there's actually something deeper happening here and something deeper going on. And that's when I started slowly seeing that distancing happening between that kind of group of men and um and where i was heading that's cool i like hearing that transition phase because for a lot of people it, it'd be either i am the person i am now or i am the yoga guy and so to know that you went through this especially now as a sex coach went through this transition phase we are still presenting it in a negative light essentially and then slowly you know come to terms with it all and obviously being in that environment upgrading your environment being connected to like higher frequency vibrational people um definitely aids in that transition so it's cool cool to see um there's a, there were a couple things you mentioned that i want to touch on which is non-attachment practical advice and i guess learning about women yeah man. yeah um how do you want me to touch on it? What, uh, what do you want me to talk into? Uh, non-attachment. I think that's that's probably one of the, one of the bigger ones here, especially sure. for men who aren't open to acknowledging it yet. Sure, man. Sure. Yeah. So, very, very basically, I suppose, what non-attachment means to me in a sexual context is not being attached to what something should look like. So, not being attached to the fantasy of something. Not being attached to like the the image that you have in your mind about what sex particularly should look like. So, so some very, very, and, and this kind of leads into practical advice as well. Maybe those two are joined up a little bit, but the um, like not being goal oriented with your sex. So not, you know, not, um, not being attached to whether you have an erection or not, not being attached to whether you um, put your penis inside, you know, your partner, not being attached to whether you ejaculate or not. Because once you start to, because well, that's quite linear and quite narrow, right? You know, and in terms of sexual experiences, that's a very that's a sliver of this whole pie that we could have um, is erection, penetration, ejaculation, right? It's a very stock standard pornographic approach to sex, right? That's what gets emphasised in porn, um, and so it's oftentimes why we repeat it is because that's what we've been shown um, and and what we think sex should look like. Uh, so we get attached to that, and and if we don't show up that way if we don't get it up if we don't get it in and if we don't get it off then we we often think something's wrong right we often think oh um we think something's wrong with us because we 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 didn't you know to to go back to my high school language we didn't fuck 
her, you know, or we think that there's something wrong with our, you know, our partner, the, the woman that we're with, because she doesn't want to be penetrated or whatever it might be, um, or um, or we just have that, this anxiety around what that around us not fulfilling what we should have done or but what we were attached to doing. So start to loosen your attachment to those things, start to disentangle those things from your sexual experience, start to go, well, if I don't have an erection, how else can I be sexual, right? If I don't, if I'm, if I'm not being penetrative, if I'm not putting my penis inside her, how else can I be sexual? What else can my sexual experience have? If I don't ejaculate and there's no ejaculation at the end of that, what else is there? What else can I explore? What other things can I do? So once we start to take those goals off the table, and we start to treat sex as like a jam, right? So this jam between two people of being like, cool, let's like, and let's have a, let's have a you know, collaborative effort, this collaborative pleasure, um, kind of like thinking of sex as like a pizza, just throwing these toppings on and make sure everyone's kind of like getting their favorite things. Um, we start to see a whole new space open up sexually for us and for our partners. Um, so that's kind of what I mean by non-attachment is like just taking that goal out of sex, taking that goal orientation out of your experiences. That's awesome. And I found when I took ejaculation off the table, which took me a while to give myself permission to do, <laughs> when I took that off the table, sex became so much more sensual and connected because I wasn't within the process thinking, fuck, how do I, how do I get her to come and then how do I come? So yeah, I, yeah. I just found like it, it's just deepened the connection um, and there's just so much more trust within that space for the both of us without ejaculation having to be there. Yeah. And ejaculation as well is like a, like we don't really acknowledge this, but it's, it's, there's a lot of significance around ejaculation, right? That, that goes kind of unspoken. So like if we, if we kind of think of, of an example, of this from my own experience, my own life of, of, um, not being able to come because you've had too much alcohol because you've got whiskey dick or whatever it might be, brewer's droop. And, <laughs> and, and ejaculation is um, involuntarily taken off the table. It's just you, you can't ejaculate for whatever reason. Then some stories start to pop up for us, right? Like some stories around like, oh, fuck, something's wrong with me. Like I can't come. Like what, what's, what's wrong? You know, something's, uh, I'm broken. Like something's wrong um, with, our, with our own, with ourself. Um, but, but our partner has a bunch of stories that go on for her as well, which is like, oh, he, he's, he can't come. Is there something wrong with me? I'm not hot enough. I'm not doing the thing that he wants. I'm not giving him enough pleasure. Because we kind of don't acknowledge that ejaculation is often a signifier that the guy's had a good time, right? If, if he doesn't come, if he doesn't ejaculate, how do we know if he's, if he's enjoyed himself? How do we know if yep. he's orgasm? Because, and again, that gets into a conversation around ejaculation and orgasm being the same thing, right? Which, which they're not. Um, and they're two separate physiological processes, but oftentimes that story then morphs into like, you know, the guy going, nothing's wrong with me. I can still come when I'm by myself. Must be something wrong with her. She's not hot enough or she's not doing that thing that, that I've seen in porn or she's not being, you know, whatever. She's not being uh, sexual enough for me. So something's wrong with her. That's why I can't come. And then oftentimes she'll go into her head and be like, no, nothing's, if she, you know, if she's done the, the self-worth kind of stuff, she'll go, nothing's wrong with me. Something's wrong with him. He's, this, this guy's fucking weird. He can't, he can't ejaculate. He can't get up. And so we have this like self-blame and self-shame. And then the second half of that story is like blaming one another. And then no one's talking about it. And no one's saying, hey, you don't actually need ejaculation to have a good time. You know, there's other ways of experiencing pleasure. Um, but no one's having that conversation. So we get these people like resenting one another for the sexual encounter that they had if... For example, ejaculations taken off the table. Well, so one thing you said there was 
that ejaculation and an orgasm aren't one and the same. Could you, I guess, explain that? Because I, I feel like for a lot of dudes, it's going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean they're not yeah, the same thing? Yeah. Sure, dude, sure. So, um, so physiologically, we know, like we've, we've studied the, the male body, and we know that ejaculation is a reflex and it is a separate reflex to orgasm. And so like if, if I go super academic on you, I can, I can you know, speak about that all day. But like what you need to know is like ejaculation is just a, a two-part reflex of the body, which is, which is mediated by a cluster of nerves in your lower back, right? And those cluster of nerves, they're connected to your sympathetic nervous system, which means that they're, they're part of your survival response, they're part of your survival mechanism. And it's you know, probably the reason why we kind of consider ejaculation a survival response, right? It's a, my friend likes to call it the, it's a caveman sex response. You know, we, we have sex and we come so we can pass in our genes so we can procreate so that we can reproduce and, and maintain the survival of the species. Um, but we don't necessarily need an orgasm for that, right? We, we, um, we, we oftentimes do have an orgasm at the same time that we have an ejaculation. And this is what we would call, call an ejaculatory orgasm, where the two things are, are together very, very close, um, you know, milliseconds in between the two. Uh, but we, we actually orgasm through other nerves, um, which aren't connected to that cluster of nerves in our lower back. So we, we can orgasm through... Um, Two other nerves, one's called the hypogastric nerve, one's called the, the um, pelvic nerve, uh, which are completely bypass that little cluster of nerves in our lower back, which means that we can experience sensation and pleasure and orgasm, those, those um, beautiful peak states of pleasure without the ejaculation reflex through that cluster of nerves being present. Um, and... You know, there's a, then there's a whole host of techniques and, and ways that you can learn to separate those two things. Um, but, but we just, we, we know we've studied the human body. We've studied the male body. We can, we can isolate those two experiences. And, and one of the ways that I often will share with guys to kind of like conceptualize this is like, if you, if you've ever had a wet dream, right? Oftentimes a wet dream is an ejaculation without an orgasm, but we can also have the same thing. We can have orgasms without the ejaculation associated with it. So, um, so it's, it's just learning to separate those two. Cool, man. I think that might be a good segue into what you offer. Is, is that part of, uh, I guess, the, the course that you offer? Yeah, man. Yeah, that's like in terms of practical advice, what we were talking about before, that's pretty much what my whole course is about. Um, and pretty much what my whole work is about, to be honest with you, is like just trying to give some practical advice for, for men who maybe are ejaculating too quickly or aren't able to maintain an erection or aren't able to get an erection. Just giving like practical um, firsthand advice uh, about their bodies, about what they can do, about how they can, you know, if they if they are at the point where they want to separate ejaculation and orgasm, not just kind of like have better sex. Um, if they want to expand that even more, then I've got yeah programs and and courses and just a whole wealth of information to to give guys in their journey to to like maximizing their sexuality and, and maximizing their pleasure and doing it without any shame or without any guilt or without any fear or anxiety attached to it. That's awesome. What's it called and where would they go to find that? Yeah, so the the course, I've just finished the first iteration of it and I'm about to launch it again. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. So um, yeah, the, the and the whole concept of that is, even though we've, we've kind of been ragging on porn a bit this, this, last, um, this last hour, 
the whole premise behind the title is is like it's actually not that difficult to outperform a male performer and the reason why i say that is because how many male porn stars are having multiple orgasms how many male porn stars are having non-ejaculatory orgasms how many male porn stars are having prostate orgasms are having full body energetic experiences are actually feeling heaps of pleasure you know i've, I've got on my my social media um, a list of quotes from from male performers pretty much saying how shit the sex is when they're on camera and how much they don't enjoy the experience and um and, and the things that they do to last longer and some of them is like inflicting pain like some of them will bite the inside of their cheek super hard oh, so that they, yeah so they start bleeding internally in their mouth um but they've inflicted that much pain on them so they numb themselves out so they can last longer i'm like how's how why are we idolizing that why is that our why is that our pinnacle of sexual experiences you know so it's actually not a difficult if you just learn a few things about your body and then start to start to put them into practice and, and have some guidance you can start to experience like way 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 more pleasure so it's getting out of that performative aspect that you kind of mentioned a bit before and getting into the pleasure mindset the pleasure um pleasure way of of being sexual um and so it's all about it's all about kind of shifting so um so that's what this outperformer porn star course is all about is like just taking you from you know from this mainstream linear narrow way of being sexual to just you know like i said exploring that whole pie rather than just having a little slice of it um so that's what the whole uh, i love that that's exciting man yeah it is exciting <laughs> yeah it's exciting for me to teach it man because i see light bulbs and and things going off for guys as we go through because some of it is like so it, it seems so so common sense to me because i've been doing it for such a while but for dudes that have never had this information given to them like i just see the light bulbs go off and they go oh my god i've been doing that this way my whole entire life and i've been so limited to that that now i can go out and explore this with my partner or explore this with someone and um and it's really it, it's really humbling to kind of see fellas have these little pings of of realization and insight in their own sex lives that's epic man um We'll do a couple of questions and we'll wrap up. But first, I want to know how uh, you have given yourself permission to be this guy in this space, putting himself out there, I guess, so vulnerably. Um, because especially now with the climate we're in, where there's so many opinions and so many people withholding their opinions, I guess, to ensure that they aren't attacked for those opinions and for that stance. Like, how did you... Give yourself permission to be in this space and to do what you're doing with men uh i think it was study man like i i, I and this is my own i know this is my own shit that i need my own shit that i need to work on is like i oftentimes um if someone challenges an opinion of mine or if challenges something that i've said instead of like feeling into my feeling into my body and being like that's how emotionally i felt by it I oftentimes like go into my academic brain and I'm like, okay, what have I read? What studies do I know? What data do I have that can like counteract their point? And so I'll come at them from like this intellectualization point of view rather than like sharing from my own personal experience and sharing from my own like emotional body. Um, so like the way I gave myself permission to kind of start doing all this work was again, from that intellectualization academic point of view, I like jumped into studying um, human sexuality at like a tertiary level then at a master's degree level and then started doing like you know um, educational workshops and started going to all these like seminars and stuff so i kind of gave myself permission because i was like i was studying it and i was i was academic about it and so it was kind of from that again transitional period 
and I'm still kind of feel like in this transitional period um, is like starting to like embody that now. So starting to like live and breathe the, the, um, the content that I'm teaching. So, you know, I, so I, I practice what I preach, you know, I don't teach anyhow. I've got a philosophy that I don't teach anything that I don't already do myself or that I haven't experienced myself or that I don't do on a daily basis. Um, and so that's kind of the, the way that I've given myself permission is like going to all these things in an academic way and then slowly starting to go to more of like the, the, um, the practical workshops, the more experiential workshops where I'm starting to do similar things like yourself, you know, stand up in a, in a group of people and get my clothes off and, and kind of be in my body and notice how these things affect me at an experiential level, not just at an academic level. Um, and that's, that's been an ongoing process. That's awesome, man. I'm grateful you're in the space you're in and that you're, I guess, taking the stand or sharing the message that you're sharing, bro, and especially doing the work that you're doing. Mm. Um, what are you most grateful for right now? Right now, I'm very, very grateful for the, the uh, location that I'm in. So I'm, in, I'm down in Margaret River at the moment um, with some lovely women that we met only a couple of months ago. Um, just by chance uh, and they've they've just moved here from byron they're i'm going to shamelessly plug them their their ladies uh their brand is called the hemp temple they sell amazing hemp clothing um definitely jump onto that uh but they they invited us into their home so my, my fiance and i drive a bus uh, and we drive we live in a bus and um and they invited us into their home and they gave us a place to park and and it's just been so amazing connecting to the land down here being able to go and do some like I'm a big believer in being sexual out in nature as well. That's a whole different conversation, but like connecting to the land um, has just been amazing going for bushwalks and, and coming across like these beautiful patches of, of um, forest and woodland and, and being intimate and sexual with my partner out in these places has just been such a amazing, amazing opportunity that I wouldn't have had if we were in this bus and still driving around. So um, I'm very grateful for that. That's epic. Uh, last question, man. If you had the chance to put a message on a billboard somewhere where you'd know thousands of people would see it every day, what would that message be? Oh, man. What If dreams could come true, hey? Um, <laughs> I would... Uh, I would... Um, hmm, I would tell... Tell people to... Hmm... I tell people to ask each other what turns them on. So ask your partner what turns them on. Ask your partner what they desire. Ask your partner what they fantasize about. Just ask your partner what turns them on. Just honestly, that one thing will, will, will change, your, change your whole sex life. Like if, if you've never asked your partner what it is that they desire, what it is that arouses them, what it is that turns them on, and you're just assuming, you're just guessing, you're just playing the mind reader game, then you're... you're you're probably not experiencing as much pleasure as you could be. So if I could just tell people just on an everyday basis and they could see it driving down Cronana Freeway, like ask their, ask their partner what, what gives them pleasure, then I think people would, people would sex, lives, sex lives would change like dramatically. Cool. I'm going to go ask my partner straight after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we missed out where where people could find you and find your course, bro. So before we sign off, uh, where do they find you? Yeah, so everything I post about and everything I share, um, including the course, can be found uh, on my Instagram, which is at the Cam Fraser. And then um, if that's if people don't have Instagram, my website is cam-fraser.com. Super easy. Nice. Well. 
to wrap this up, bro, I just want to acknowledge you first of all for being here, for being patient with me. Um, I was 30 minutes late, so I just need to put that out in the space and uh, be accountable for that. Uh, no excuse at all, man, just my uh, lack of self and time management. So thank you for being patient with me for that. Um, but most of all, for what you've been through, going through that all as a teenager and then studying um, and then allowing yourself to get into the space to now embody and to now teach men what you're teaching. Like it's, it's invaluable. It's very, very, very needed. And, you know, I know a lot of men who could use the work you're doing. So I'm just really, really grateful you're doing what you, what you are doing, bro. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Yeah. I really appreciate you having a platform to have these conversations. So yeah, big ups to you as well, my brother. Thank you very much. Have a good day. eh? Yeah. Thanks, man.